am Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Okay, so I thought we'd do another episode on sibling rivalry just because there's a lot to this one. I didn't want to jam it all in in the previous episode. So we're just going to kind of, we'll probably go back over a little bit what we talked about, but just kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive. And if if you haven't, you should listen to the previous episode where Mm -hmm. we, we talk about sibling rivalry and conflict between siblings, some of the techniques you can use, what you need to think about really when you enter the fray of a sibling conflict, right? Right, yeah. I feel like in that episode, we really lay a foundation for right. a kind of an overarching view of of why we need to handle sibling conflict in certain ways. And then we also break it down into some specific techniques. Yeah, and we do more of a deeper dive in terms of what you really want to be thinking about when mm-hmm. you enter it. And mm-hmm. those, we talk about something called the love scoreboard, mm-hmm. which, you know, take a listen to, for a dive into that. And we talk about the four things you can sort of bring to conflict, which is showing respect, which kind of is about making sure you're listening to both kids and making sure they're both heard, uh, giving support to kids, meaning helping them find a way to resolve the conflict, mm-hmm. encouraging reciprocity, which is basically collaborating with them about and and please tell me if I'm I'm not saying this right. But encouraging reciprocity means what does it mean again? Tell me again what, what when you say encouraging reciprocity within a conflict between siblings. Encouraging reciprocity means helping each sibling see the other person's point of view, but in an effective way. What do you mean in an effective way? Well, a lot of parents and and we said this in the other episode, but I don't think it can be overemphasized enough. A lot of parents try to get, when there's sibling conflict, try to get a sibling to see the other person's, the other child's point of view or the other tween or teen's point of view um, by saying, I want, look at how your actions, you know, affected them. Mm. Look at their face. You can see, you can see that they're sad, that they're jealous, that they're upset. And you, you, you know, your actions did that. The problem with that is that it is playing into the love scoreboard. It's also being judge and jury and invalidating one kid's feelings and validating the other kid's feelings. So what we really want to be doing, reciprocity means equalizing the feelings. They can be different feelings, right? One kid can feel jealous and frustrated and the other per the other kid can feel um picked on and overwhelmed right but that all of those feelings are valid so instead of instead of rushing in and pointing out how you made somebody else feel if a parent reciprocity refers to the parent coming in and saying i hear that you feel this and i hear that you feel this no judgment just acknowledging both people's feelings and respecting them. And that allows the other person 
to see, to go feel validated themselves. So they're not having to fight for sure. their feelings mm-hmm. and the right to their feelings. And to also hear that they, that their sibling has feelings that are valid as well. Right. And again, I think we've said this a lot and we definitely said it in the other previous episode about civil uh, sibling rivalry that one of the best parts of trying to do this is that you're teaching relationship values, conflict resolution values that kids are going to be able to take forward with them, hopefully, whether it's in the workplace, in their marriage, at school. Because even even the thing you just said, the, the concept of your feelings are valid, so mine are valid, but I I can also encouraging them to hear the other person's point of view and their and their feelings as well. Yes. Right? So it's both of us. It doesn't mean you have to diminish yours or cut yours out. You can which I think in this society and country, we have a hard things get very black and white. Yes. It's really hard to hold on to nuance that both things can be true, that your feelings are valid, but can you hear the other person's feelings as well. I just want to say one thing that I thought of. So this, of course, I understand the concept of showing up to a conflict and saying, I'm going to try to be neutral Mm -hmm. and value both kids and make sure they're both heard and they're both validated. And so that that's on the table. And ideally, that's what we're doing. So because I I was kind of imagining some some conflicts I've seen within my own kids what do you do in the circumstance where it's so egregious on one side mm. that, you know, because I love the concept of like, hey, everyone's feelings are valid. And it, it and I know it's not great to because then the love scoreboard comes into play if you come in and say, you know, you're the winner, you're the loser. I can't believe you did this. Go to your room. That might be the ultimate consequence. But what do you do in the situation where like it's it's just egregious? Are you still trying to show up with curiosity and listening with heart to say what you know? Is it like what brought what is going on that you punched your sister in the face? <laughs> I mean that's kind yeah, of that's, extreme. That's bad. <laughs> that's kind of extreme because you also said and we can get into this too that that that's one situation where you jump in immediately where there's like physical harm or physicality going on. So maybe right. that's not a great example. Right. But what I, do I, you I, do in that I, situation where it's it's not maybe it's not really like. You know, kind of equal on both sides. They're getting into it. What if someone has done just something awful and egregious, one of the siblings to another? Right. So, look, if it's physical, uh, you know, then that all all bets are off. You know, as a parent, you you need to to make sure that that kind of physicality is not going on in your household, and that you stop it and you give a consequence to whoever hit whoever else or pinched or kicked or pushed or whatever that that's very black and white to me i think what you're you're probably referring to might be a, you know a situation in which the verbal comments are egregious so well and you even made the point in the last episode which i think is a key to remember too is that part of why you don't jump in too early is that you want to have a hopefully have a sense of what's going on. Right. Which you either get from the communication from the kids if you're not there. But let's say you're here. Let's say I'm in my office and I can hear in the other room that let's just say my daughter's trying to just do her homework and I know that. And I can hear her older brother just 
going after her verbally needling her and 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 then the, you know my daughter is saying you know please stop and i can i can tell he's just taking her to town it's going after her so it's not really equal but it but it it, it escalates to a blow up mm-hmm. so now i'm involved so what about like in a situation like that i i still would enter as a mediator so in other words i i wouldn't probably if i can avoid it i wouldn't let it blow up but if i can hear that needling going on and the other kid is saying you know please get out of my room you know making reasonable requests in a reasonable tone of voice but the other kid is like you know i did that in when i was in first grade and you're in seventh grade and you're you know so uh, you know where they're really being nasty i would go in still with the sibling rivalry technique that we've talked about and say, no, it seems like you guys are having a problem. Hmm. You know, I'm hearing that you're feeling provocative and maybe you're wanting your sister's attention by being Yeah, like what's going on? I mean, because I also think uh, oftentimes underneath that kind of behavior is whether it's some insecurity or stresses or something. So- Right. It's so hard to do that, you know, because you want to show up and just be like, what is your, what? Stop it. <laughs> exactly. You are being so annoying. Get out of here. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so great to, if you can, though, because usually underneath that is something else. I mean, maybe they've had a horrendous day. Right. Maybe they're envious. I right. mean, not that that might come out in that moment, but you're saying if you can show up still with curiosity, if you can, empathy. If you can, and, and we'll talk about what, what happens if you can't like what to do after what you've already probably done or said but um you know also in that situation you can you can say to the kid who's been asking politely for the older brother to get out of her room you can say you know it seems like you know you're trying to get some privacy and i'm hearing you, that you're asking for that and you know how can you guys figure this out so the older brother who's being provocative. I mean, in this case, we're talking about normal, yeah, right. and antagonizing. Gets to hear that actually the the sibling has been making a reasonable request and trying to get privacy, but you're not invalidating that older brother's feelings that they're feeling something. You know that right. they're having. You may not even be able to put a feeling word onto it, and and don't let that stop you. You can say, I can see that you're having some really complicated feelings here or some conflicted feelings, or some big feelings, right? You don't have to, you know, know the word provocative or, sure, you know, or be able to come up with that, you know, or any feeling word. In well, the and moment. they might not even know themselves in the moment why they're doing what they're doing. Exactly. You know? So, you know, look, that's ideal. I recognize that that's not always going to be the case. It's probably, you will pro- might be able to do that if you're really, really good, like 1% of the time, because you have so many feelings about it as well. Well, yeah, that's the other problem too, is that, you, you know, especially when someone's getting hurt. I mean, I'm, again, I'm oh, just sure. thinking of myself. So let's, why don't we just address that? What do, what do you, how do you handle it in the moment if you don't handle it great? If you do explode? Right. If you do come down on the side of one child in favor of them and, you know, met out the punishment to the other one. So that that's where our circle back comes into play. It's really, I've, I've said this before, but my mentor, Gary Landreth, said, it's not what you do or say. It's what you do or say after what you've already done or said. 
because we can't necessarily stop ourselves. In that scenario that, you know, the scenario that we're playing with here, the hypothetical scenario, you know, you're going to have feelings about it. Mm-hmm. You you know, you may be trying to work, you may, you know, you may be trying to record something, Greg, I may right. be trying to write, you mm-hmm. know, and, and kind of need that time to concentrate. And I'm overhearing this. And it's about then our discomfort. It's like, shut the you know what up. Well, and you don't have you don't you might not have like 20 minutes to kind of in that moment sort through it, because like you said, like parents have things going on. Precisely. So in that moment, you're likely to go in and say, stop this. I can't believe this. You're always provoking her. And, you know, and, you know, and you're not helping because I hear your tone of voice and it's very snide. And, you know, get the heck out of each other's room and each other's hair and leave the house. Right. 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 Because we're so frustrated. Right. And kids can be so frustrating. You know what? That is what it is. Right. We have those moments. Yeah, sure. It happens. We lose our minds. It's okay. The important thing is a circle back, whether it's to each child individually or whether it's to them together. And discerning that, whether you should do it with individual children or together, really depends on what their dynamic is to begin with. Yeah, and I think it depends on the child, the child's personality, how serious the conflict was Mm -hmm. maybe, how hurt the child was. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm, sure. I'm just sort of playing through scenarios in my mind with my own kids that I think sometimes it was more helpful, especially if you don't have all the information, because you talk about that often, too, is like jumping in when you don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. is never helpful. So if you have yeah. time to really go to that, maybe children, the child individually to be able to say, hey, what, what was going on? Because they yeah. might feel more free to really express themselves about what the con- what the conflict means to them, what they're going through. And then you have an opportunity to maybe say like, hey, I think the three of us will need to, or whether it's the four of you, whatever the parental situation is. Right, exactly. Is Is that the idea? Yeah. And, you know, and I I would say, you know, when you circle back, it's going to be important to listen with heart first. So you might go first to the aggressor or perpetrator or whatever you see. In this case, you know, it would be the older brother and say, you you know, later in the day say, you know, listen, I I saw that there was something really going on back there with your sister and you seemed very aggravated and and annoyed and I know that I I didn't handle it in the moment necessarily the way I would have liked to. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to talk about it now. You know, what's what's going on? Tell me tell me what's what's going for you, you know, happening for you. Mm. Um what was that what was that about? Mm. And and just let them talk, right? And express whatever and it may be a made up thing and it may be whatever, but there's a lot of ground to be had by using the tell me more technique and the listening with heart technique. Yeah, which we've talked about in previous episodes that those are key phrases to get kids. Well, listening with heart is just the idea of how you how you show up. But right. I, tell me more is, is kind of like tell me more. Like it's, it's about being curious and yeah. allowing them to go, trying to get them to open up about what the experience was like for them. And, and in, any, in any situation, when we're talking specifically about like, let's say there's a really terrible conflict between 
two siblings. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So now, you know, let's be realistic about all of this. So in this scenario, when you go to each of the kids, you're probably going to get a more compliant or reasonable, reasonable response from the kid who was asking to for the person to leave their room in the begin with because they weren't intense. The kid who was intense may still be very stuck in their position and may be like, get out of here. You always want to talk about feelings. Yeah. And we have to accept that in that moment. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's a way to say, well, I hear that you really don't want to talk about it and you know whatever was going on. And we really do need to... to figure out how to communicate our feelings, whether it's yours toward your sister or or hers toward you or mine toward you or mom's toward your sister or, you know, whatever that configuration is, we really need to figure out a way to communicate that in a healthy and respectful way. So we're going to have a family meeting. Right. And we will sit down and we will, you know, hash this through, you know, after everybody's feelings are calmer. Yeah, and one of the things you said previously is that, and we say this all the time about all of the techniques, is nothing is a magic panacea that's going to work immediately, that you're often going to get pushback, but that it shouldn't be a reason to give up because you're really just planting a seed, like even for you to come into the room and say to the child, you know, if the child's like, get out of here, I'm not talking to you, I'm, I don't want to talk about this, I'm never talking about this. Right. For you to still say, okay, well, we do need to talk about it at some point soon. And mm-hmm. You might even say like tomorrow, because if you leave it too open-ended, they'll never come back to it. Right. And then to drop the, co- you're dropping the seed, you're dropping the concept of, because we have to learn a different way to you know, speak to each other in the family and resolve conflict. And so mm-hmm. even if you're dropping that, and it, it, you might have to do that a few times, but at least yeah. hopefully that's sort of starting to seep in, right? Is that the Right, idea? exactly. And I think part of this is also to be able to say, to make it favorable for the person, in this case, the older son, to make it work out somehow in their favor. And I don't what do you mean, mean, yeah, I don't mean. You mean so they don't feel like they're just going to be punished? Correct. Okay. So that they understand that your goal is to help them express themselves in a way that results in whatever change they wanted, mm-hmm. as opposed to you wanting to hear what the problem was and then to punish them for. You know, the right, way they right. did it. Because why would they want to show up for that conversation? <laughs> well, exactly. And so, you know, the way we do that, I mean, I think you can say in this context, you can say, look, I want to make sure that whatever it was that you needed when you were in there, that we can figure out how to get you that, how to meet your needs by using respectful language. Right. I just want to go back for a second because... You talked about at the beginning of this episode, you talked a little bit about ideally we're doing late intervention yeah, and you're figuring it out and you're showing up to the conflict and you're taking the time to sort through that. And you can't always do that because there's something going on. You're working, you're preparing for a party, you're rushing out the door and it seems extreme. 
and you've talked about how that might be a moment where if you got to resolve it quickly that you can use an I statement yes. as the parent mm-hmm. and tag it with a choice or consequences, mm-hmm. a consequence. Could you talk about a little bit about that and also why it's key that it's directed to both kids? Well- Is that ideally what you want to do if like, I got to deal with this right now. Yes. We can't figure this out. What do you mean when you say- an I statement, and then you, in this situation, you could do an I statement tagged to a consequence or a choice. Right. So we use I statements tagged with either um, limits or consequences when we own the problem. So when we determine that it's our feelings that are upset, that uh, we determine that we have a goal that's being thwarted, and when we are raising an issue. So arguably, when it's between siblings, they're raising an issue with each other. They have the upset feelings first. But I think there's, you know, as your feelings are also building and you're like, this is disturbing my peace and quiet. Right. And so I have, I my problem is that I am not being given the space that I need to do whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of quiet space. So an I statement refers back to I, I'm the parent. So ideally, you might walk into that conflict and say, I feel very aggravated because I can't hear myself think. Right. And it might be because I'm about to start a huge meeting in the office and I need peace and quiet. Right. Exactly. I would like you to... Right. So that's where we get into just the I statement, right? I'm feeling very aggravated because I'm getting ready to go into a big meeting and I can't hear myself think. So sometimes an I statement by itself will fix the problem, particularly Hmm. if we're talking about tweens and teens. It's not going to fix the problem with younger kids. We need need more than that usually. Mm -hmm. But we have the opportunity with any age to tag it with a limit, which a limit is what you want them to do differently. I would like for you to go into separate rooms mm-hmm. and we'll deal with this after I finish, mm. right? That's the limit. You can also tag it with a consequence. So you can say, I'm feeling very aggravated because I'm about ready to go into a meeting and I can't hear myself think. You both just chose to have your technology taken away for the whole evening, Hmm. right? Or whatever it is. I'm using that as an example. Probably technology is overused. I mean, we can talk another time about like- And we have a whole, just so our listeners know, uh, there's a whole episode on iMessages, the importance of iMessages, how you use them. So you can go back to that if you want to do a deeper dive on that. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to- because that is a, that is another technique. I mean, I think this is an episode of how we're talking about different techniques that you can use. And you don't always have the time to sort through it in the moment. Right. So that's an opportunity, especially because the other thing we talk about often is who whose problem is it? And mm-hmm. in a sibling rivalry, it's usually the conflict between the siblings. Correct. And it's important that you don't interject yourself into that conflict. It's more that you as the parent show up to support them on finding a resolution. But what you're saying is there's moments where it is your problem. Because if I'm in my office about to have a giant meeting, now it's a problem for me. Exactly. I don't have time to sit through this and figure this out. So I'm going to go out there, use an I message 
And as you, you'll hear and you may have known if you heard the episode that it's not about you. Right. Because then it becomes about shaming and punishing. Right. It's about I, keeping right. the attention on yourself. I feel frustrated because I'm about to have a huge meeting. I need you guys to go to your rooms right now. Exactly. And, 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 and you know, as, when you're referring to it's not about you, um, just to clarify that even a little bit more, if you were to walk into that conflict and say, you guys are driving me crazy, you are the worst, you, you, you know, never think about anybody else's feelings. You're right? selfish, you're annoying. <laughs> exactly. And then you're Those are you statements. Sure. Right. Y-O-U statements. Right. And there's a million reasons why that's terrible and problematic. A million reasons, right? And we've covered some of them. And, you know, I think at some point, too, we should probably do another episode. Of course. Specifically about consequences, but we could all, because it's occurring to me that formulating consequences is a- It's very challenging. We've touched on it a little bit, too, especially Mm -hmm. in the moment. You usually leap to something extreme. Mm -hmm. And I, you have lost electronics for the next two years. Precisely. I'm using your college tuition to buy a beach house. You can't go to college. Precisely. And I think we could maybe expand upon how we come up with consequences that are more effective Mm. at some point. But in these moments, in the sibling situation, when we are addressing our problem and we're addressing it with an I statement and limits or consequences, it avoids, it also avoids being the judge and jury. It avoids the love scoreboard because your your statement is addressed to both kids. Mm. Well, yeah, right. That's Evenly, what I, why, right? Yeah, I wanted you to touch on why it's both, right? Right, right. Make sure it's going to both. Even if you think in your head that it's one kid that's really instigating, it's really important because of the love scoreboard that we sort of dive into in the previous episode that you're addressing that to both kids. Yeah, if you're going to address it with discipline, which is essentially the I statements and limits and consequences, you want to make sure that it's to both of them, that they're both being problematic. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so let's, we touched on this a little bit. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of proactive parenting? Mm-hmm. So that might be a situation where you don't resolve it in the moment, even mm-hmm. though you try to and it doesn't work. And Talk a little bit about the circle back and what is proactive parenting and how does that relate to family meeting? Sure. Well, I'm a big believer in proactive parenting. And what I mean by proactive, proactive is a word that is opposed to reactive. Hmm. So reactive parenting is you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Every time something comes up, you're thinking in the moment of what to do you're, I mean, even if you're using techniques, you're only using them in the moment when they're necessary. And as we know, as we've stated many times before, even getting it right 70% of the time is, can be a tricky thing. Sure. So reactive parenting is very touch and go because it's very difficult to separate our feelings as parents out from any situ- any any situation that is happening in the moment and to not react with anger or frustration or sadness or whatever. So rather than doing that, I really think that, and there's a many, many things that fall under this category of proactive parenting, many different techniques, but proactive parenting is... First of all, equipping yourself with some knowledge. Right. Understanding that there are techniques, 
and strategies that you can use in a very pragmatic way. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're not trying to use theory and figure out what to do in that reactive moment. Instead, what you're doing is you're absorbing that knowledge, Mm -hmm. right, that has been written down by myself and other, many, many other people, and absorbing it and thinking through kind of situations in advance. How do we, you know, how do we want to parent when this category of behavior comes up? right? That's proactive. As opposed to figuring it out in the moment on the fly. Correct. Exactly. So that's an important understanding and having knowledge of and having absorbed techniques to deal with different categories of behavior, for lack of a better word. It moves you a big step forward in being proactive. There are, because kids are kids and because parents are human beings and we're all human beings things are going to come up that are going to that are going to surprise us right of course yeah so one of the proactive techniques that i really like and and let and we're going to apply this i think in this episode specifically to sibling rivalry yeah is this idea of having a family meeting where we don't necessarily talk about or address the specific conflicts that come up between siblings. But we talk in a broader sense about our values. Right. So if proactive parenting is, like you said, taking the time to learn these techniques so you come to the table more prepared, family meeting is one of these techniques that you can utilize to help within sibling conflict. So dealing with sibling conflict. Mm-hmm. Again, we did a whole episode on family meeting. So if you haven't heard that, do a deep dive on right. family meeting. Right. And so, yeah, when I when I was reading your book, it, it, it seemed like family meeting was a place to, like you said, maybe not even necessarily address the specific conflict mm-hmm. that's happened. So let's say you've had to do the circle back, which we've talked about a right. lot. So the circle back could be maybe with the kids together or you talk to the kids separately to kind of do a deeper dive on what's going on, especially right. if you couldn't address it really in the moment or it didn't go well. Right. And then you can circle back again. Maybe you bring it back. But family meeting is a place that it sounds like you can kind of come at it from another angle, maybe not as specifically. And you've talked about where you can talk about family values in the family meeting. Yeah. So, I mean, family meetings serve, you know, a tremendous number of different purposes. One potential benefit, I would say, of family meetings is that it gives the family an opportunity to define themselves as a family in the way that we define any community as a community by a set of values to which we all subscribe and agree to and come up with and did I already say buy into? And why, why, I mean, maybe it's obvious, but why is that important? I feel like it's important. A lot of different people have written about the importance. I think one of the most important things about it is that other communities that our children 
belong to, like their peers, the community of peers, right? Sure. Whether it's like school or sports team or club or... Right. Or just friendships. So you, you know, you have the community of friends, you have the community of school, which, you know, there's a bunch of peers there. They might not all be your friends, but there are distinct rules within those communities that shape how we behave so that the community as a whole thrives, right? It's society, basically. You know, we have rules that we, you know, we don't go and punch strangers in the face. We don't punch anybody in the sure, face, right, sure. on the street. So your family is obviously a microcosm of of society or a community and in, in the ideas like how do we as a family unit want to act in the world? How do we, I mean, as parents, you're saying family meeting is a place to sort of espouse maybe what your fa- your values of a family are. Yes. And I think what a lot of parents neglect I'm not even going to say object to because I don't even think that they, that a lot of people think about it this way. But I think a lot of parents neglect to define what the family values are because they think it's going to be role modeled to kids and the kids will pick up on the role modeling in the family or they feel like the kids will you know, by osmosis, absorb it, that it'll somehow be instinctive. So they don't, well, I mean, I'm sure some of that goes on, but your point is like, better to be direct. Right. And clear. Right. And I also think it is a sign of the times that we need to be clearer about it than we ever did before. Right. Because if you roll back time before there was the influence of media, Right. right. The only role model that kids had was the family. And usually that involved the extended family. Right, right. right. All modeling the same kind of values or the neighborhood, all modeling the same kind of values or the church or the synagogue or, you know, but it was much smaller communities. Once televisions became omnipresent Mm -hmm. in everybody's houses and computers and all of that, a lot of different values, the community expanded in a sense, and a lot of values that are not our values necessarily in the nuclear family began to sift in and shape kids' behaviors. Well, yeah. And we've touched on social media a ton. So your point is like, you feel like it's imperative now more than ever to have these conversations and we, so we're talking generally about values and your family values and the importance of that and and how you can use family meeting as a tool to do that. But we've also, in this episode, I guess we're connecting it to, like, let's say there's a conflict that's going on between two siblings that's really taking on the family dynamic. And you've also talked about how, you know, let's say it's a family of five. If there's one or there's two people that are struggling or in conflict, that it affects the whole, right? You've said. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, we are an organism as a family. So if you think about, you know, your own body, we have different parts of our body. Well, if our if we break our arm, right, and we can't and and that part of our body becomes 
dysfunctional in some way, then the rest of the body is affected. Right. We have to compensate for it. We have to figure out different ways to do it. Same thing in the family. If one person in the family is struggling, then the family unit as a whole is trying to compensate for that. And it's probably usually not in a healthy way unless it's being very well thought out by the mm-hmm. the, the heads of the family um, and communicated as well. So if the example is there's a conflict between two siblings, and so let's say the value, you want to talk about your family's value around how we treat each other. I guess my question is, how does that manifest within... So we don't want to show up and talk about the conflict between Sally and Johnny specifically and the fight they had, but you're talking about more of getting your ideas about your own humanity values to to your family that hopefully infiltrates this kind of dynamic and relationship. How does that manifest within a family meeting? Yeah, and and well, uh, absolutely, I'll talk about that. And then also, you know, how we can then generalize that to specific instances as those instances continue to occur. So if you kind of boil down, you know, Sally and Johnny's um, conflict to its essence, which is often that kids, you know, are probably having feelings about the other person in the family, right? So, and they're usually negative feelings, right? In in the case of conflict. So what we know is that the big picture that we have to address is how do we handle our negative feelings when we have them toward another person and still be in relationship with that person and still be able to communicate that respectfully? Mm-hmm. So that that may then mean that the topic at family meeting is just that, respect. How do we, you know, what does respectful communication sound like? It's probably easy for individual members of the family to come up with, you know, what it sounds like in positive situations. Sure. And that then begs the question, well, what happens when it's a negative situation? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you're walking down, you know, across the street and a cab tears around the corner. That's a very New York-centric view. A car, right, cuts cuts it really close and, you know, and, and you feel startled. And so, you know, your tendency is to, you know, shoot the middle finger or mm-hmm. to scream at the person. Is that respectful? Right. No. Does the person still deserve respect? I don't know. I mean, people should can answer that in the family themselves. What would be a, a respectful way of addressing that? You know, because the difference between a car cutting you off and a family member treating you poorly is that you don't have a relationship with the person in sure. the car. And you do have a relationship with the person in the family. Mm-hmm. So we can differentiate a little bit. But, you know, it almost doesn't matter the the different paths and twists and turns that the conversation takes. What we're really doing is encouraging a deeper thought process mm-hmm. about relationships, about humanity, about respecting people we disagree with, respecting people we're angry with as well. So I think there's something to be said for clear communication, at least a semblance of respectful communication in terms of not, you know, of protecting ourselves 
you sure. know, staying safe ourselves, but also in terms of not ruining a relationship when, when we're in one. So right. between siblings, we're really talking about a relationship that has the potential to last their whole lives. Sure. You know, in terms of the family meeting, that if you listen to that episode, uh, it's not that you'd necessarily just dive into some deep conversation about values. We have a bunch of steps that you sort of do to lead up to it. And I just want to, because you, you listed some of these in your in your book, because, you know, maybe someone, is, a, a parent is listening to this right now, like, how do you actually do this? So how do you sort of inspire conversation? And you have a list of questions that you could potentially ask right. to get this conversation started. And again, I just want to, you know, your parent, your kids might think this is ridiculous and it's absurd, but you never know. It's like, don't give up. You got to kind of keep up. pushing it, right? Yeah. Putting it out there, even if you have to try a couple times. A hundred percent. So these are just a few that you have. Um, mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a member of a family? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you do all these. I mean, you could do one, right? Oh, yeah. And probably you should just do one. Right. Or put it out there one meeting and then come back to it and say, has anybody thought about this? You right. know, because when they're feeling put on the spot, they not may not be willing to answer. But yeah, really and truly, these are these are big questions, big philosophical questions that that take up more time than you're going to have in terms of asking multiple of them. Sure, so just sure. Just one, yeah. Right, right. And your kids might not have the patience for it. But I also like, I, I'm going to read these now and you'll hear it too, but I think, I guess I like this idea that, because you'll have opportunities to address a specific conflict that's happening mm-hmm. and talk about the details of the conflict. But I like that these these sort of value-based questions that you could potentially ask in a in a family meeting can be related to how we treat each other. Yes, right. So exactly. you have, uh, what does it mean to be a member of a family? How do members of a family support one another's growth? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. As a member of this family, how do we want to treat one another? Why? Yeah, that's a real important <laughs> that's one. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we want people outside the family to define us? Mm-hmm. What kind of mark do we want to leave on the world for future generations to remember us by? Mm-hmm. Who are the people we admire, whom we'd like to emulate? Why? Mm-hmm. I wish we'd done those. We we didn't really do those. Yeah. And I, I could see, and like everything else that you talk about, it's sort of like just to get the wheels to start turning, you know? For sure. For sure. And some of the way or a way that these can be applicable to a particular situation where the siblings are conflicting, right, is if you if you can get some thought going around, you know, what is what how do we support each other's growth in the family? Right. Well, that just seems like a great one. If you have two siblings that are like giving it to each other all the time. Right, exactly. And you probably are not going to want to come in if you've, you know, already addressed this in family meeting. You're probably not going to want to come in and in that moment say, well, I don't think this is very growth inducing, (laughs) is it? Right. Right? That's the sarcastic communication block that I'm not good at. Exactly. And it's so tempting to do it, though. Yes, Uh, yes. But, you know, rather than doing that, I think it is, it's something that you can circle back to Mm -hmm. either separately or in the next family meeting and say, you know, look, here's what I heard during the week. 
I heard that, that there was a lot of raised voices. There were, you know, was a lot of conflict. There were, there were a lot of insults that I overheard. And I'm feeling a little bit bewildered and concerned because I think we talked about how do we support each other's growth. And it seems to me that those things that that I overheard, you know, are the opposite of that. They really well, undermine each other's growth. Well, it seems like what you're saying is that, so let's say you, you do this through your family meeting, right? You introduce these questions. So what you're saying is then if you've introduced this idea and these questions that you you can circle back if like you just said, like in a, in a week, if if this thing happens, right. and you've sort of established like, hey, remember when we talked about what it means to us, how we support each other, how you feel you should support each other within the family? Right. Is that what you're saying? Is yeah. like, I feel like this week, wouldn't you guys agree that some of that went on that didn't hold up what our values are as a family? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and notice that, you know, both the way you and I are both, the way you and I are both speaking here is very neutral. There's no blame. We're saying, right, right. I overheard a raised right. voices. I we're overheard. always able to do it very perfectly on this podcast, I but ideally that. that's what we're, <laughs> that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. So you don't want to say, yeah, but you know, Johnny, I really heard that you were being a <laughs> You were a pill. real jerk this week, weren't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right? Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, we want to make it as neutral as possible. Okay, so- the final thing we can sort of touch on just as another technique, and you've used this in different ways. I'm not sure how this relates to sibling rivalry, but uh, love tickets. Mm. What's a love ticket? I love love tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so love tickets are a form of written communication that either highlights your unconditional love for a child or highlights a past positive behavior in the child. So I'll tell you, I'll, 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 I'll tell you in a minute what they sound like, but it's very important that children, really people, have written affirmation of either what they did right, you know, encouragement about, you know, catch them doing it right, or that they are loved unconditionally in spite of the mistakes that they might make. Hmm. It's especially important when it's parent to child. But I could argue that it's really important for all people sure. across the board. The reason that it's important that it's written and affirmation is that it makes it concrete. So I once gave a lecture for hundreds of people, you know, maybe three or 400 people, and afterwards, I a bunch every you know lots of people came up and, and talking. Oh, that was so great! And blah 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 blah. And one person said, "I thought that was awful. I think you were condoning, I don't know, spousal abuse or something." It was talking about divorce. And do you know what stuck with me? Not the twenty-five or fifty people who said nice things. Right. It was the one person who said something negative. Right. That wasn't even true. Right. Right. But I, I, I that's what I remembered. Mm -hmm. And we're more likely to remember the discouragement that we receive in life sure. than than the encouragement. Yeah, the traumas sort of stick with you. Mm -hmm. So the reason that it's 
important to put affirmations in writing is that it concretizes them. And the kid can go back at any given point in time and open up the love ticket and see what they've done right or see that they're unconditionally loved by right. their parents, even when they make mistakes. So what would it, What would one be, and I, I'm gonna talk about my own experience with them, and we've had positive experiences with them, but in terms of a sibling conflict, I think one of the things, you, you keep them short, right? They're not, yeah. they, it's not like you have to write a page and a half, but if a sibling conflict, like let's say the, the, the sibling who's made an effort, you know, to work on it, it could it, that could be one of the love notes. Hey, I see that you're trying to be more patient with your sister and you know not lash out as much i just want you to know i really appreciate that here's the tricky thing about them the answer to that is yes and and the and is that we want to be careful especially with tweens and teens that these notes don't come across as manipulative okay so sometimes when a kid is working on oh, a particular oh, behavior right, right. Um, or has been reprimanded for it, or you know, or has been, you know, it's it's being addressed in other way ways. Sometimes when you make the love ticket about that, they're like, they're just trying to manipulate me. They don't feel it as true. Mm -hmm. So instead, because encouragement is generalizable. Okay. So if we are encouraged about one thing in one category, right, it actually generalizes to other categories that we haven't been encouraged about. Okay. Because encouragement is, is about, it literally is to build courage and courage, right? Mm -hmm. To build courage, to build self-esteem, to build confidence. So, so if, you don't necessarily have to be that direct about Right. So you could say instead, I saw how you treated your teammate hmm. in soccer with such compassion when they missed the goal. And that's all you have to say. Now they are a compassionate person right. who treats others, even when the other person made a mistake, who treats others with respect. Right. Mm -hmm. And that generalizes to the sister. Right, which right. is so cool. I mean, that's one thing we do well as human beings is we generalize. Mm -hmm. It can be, you know, you can use that for evil as well, unfortunately. But when it's used for the good, we are really quite adaptable in that regard in terms of that generalization. So you want to catch them doing it right about something else, right. but they might have similar qualities. Sure. Right. And you want to make sure in when, when you are remarking on a past positive behavior, you want to leave you out of it. So you don't want to say, I, I appreciate that. Or, you know, you did a good job or I love you. None of that. It's just what you noticed hmm. or what you heard. Because they will also take that and generalize it to, yeah, I'm a compassionate person, right? And you didn't say that. You said, I noticed how compassionate you were with right. so-and-so. So you're remarking on facts, right? right? The other type of love ticket is this unconditional love, which is the, the, the unconditional love and acceptance of one's parents forms the basis of their self-esteem. Sure. 
And it can get really screwed up really fast in families because one kid gets, you know, one kid is the perpetrator in a sibling situation. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the time they've gotten into that cycle, that negative cycle. And so a lot of what they hear is negative, 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 negative. And that love scoreboard is flaring. So So they don't feel unconditionally loved and accepted by their parents. And that happens whether it's in sibling rivalry or whether we are, you know, we have certain expectations that we want them to meet. They need to get B's in school or, you know, and they suddenly conflate this idea of their behavior earning our love versus the fact that, you know, you get it. You just get it. You, you, You know, you can, you can make a million mistakes. I'm still gonna love who you are inside. I'm not gonna condone the mistakes, but I'm gonna love who you are inside. So a way to create that kind of cleanliness is when we write a note that's unconditional love. I love you more than all the stars in the sky, right? Right. Or I love you even when we disagree. Hmm. Love dad. Right. I mean, how powerful is that? Right. Right. Or, you know, after a, a blow up with them, I love growing with you that's unconditional sure so it's not about the behavior it's about who they are inside of of the behavior right which is sometimes hard to see but one of the things that that is also advantageous about writing the notes is that you can think about them ahead of time yeah you know and you can have a whole drawer full well and i also like that you don't you don't follow up with them to be like, hey, did you read the note? It's not about that. You've said that too, like, because they might not. I did them for years in the kids' lunches. Uh huh. And it was great. You know, I think they're really powerful. I remember we were giving them to my son, and maybe it was his lunches, or my wife would leave one in his room. And I, we didn't even know if he was reading them. He'd never mention them, he would never talk about them. And I don't remember if it was when he was moving out or at some point we found them. Like he had saved them in a box. Yeah, like they resonate. Heartwarming, they really do, yes. And what I would also say to parents is every kid responds differently to them. So my daughter saved them like your son did. Mm -hmm. My son did not, but I know that they resonated for them Mm. because every once in a while I'll get one from them. And that's like so incredibly powerful. I know. As you're talking, I'm like, I need someone to give me some love notes. I, think. <laughs> I know, right? You know, and I know partners who do it for each other. Right, right. I mean, yes, and of it's, course. And it's so satisfying. It's so like, oh, I'm not operating in a void. Of course, yeah. It's 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 such a great gift to another person. Great. So I think you can add that to your arsenal. Yes. In terms of sibling conflict. A hundred percent. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at Julie.Ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.